With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Andy Staples on 3, and it's time to talk about perfection. We're talking about perfect records or national championships. We can get to that later. It's only September. We need to talk about a perfect weekend. Because if you saw the picks graphic that we put out with a selection of my picks from last week, then you know that I was perfect. Every one of those was completely wrong. Every single one. Now, those weren't all the picks I made in the picks show. If you're, a, if you're an eagle-eared listener, you know that I didn't make eight picks. I made 13 picks. But those were the ones that were chosen for the graphic. And it was basically, I told, uh, I told Jack Terry, who's our, our social media guru, I said, just pick the games you feel like are the most important or the most interesting because only eight of them are going to fit on the graphic. So that's what he picked. Mississippi State plus five against LSU. Tennessee minus six and a half against Florida. Colorado State minus 22 and a half against Colorado State. Kansas State minus four and a half at Mizzou. Michigan State plus 16 and a half against Washington. Georgia minus 27 and a half against South Carolina. Alabama minus 31 and a half at USF. And the under 42.5 in Western Michigan, Iowa. Yeah, I'm sorry. If you took my advice, I'm sorry. If you took my alternate advice to fade me, you're welcome. Because if you'd put that on a parlay, you're buying your own private island right now. So you're welcome. Glad I could be of service. And remember, it is hard to be as consistent as that. It is very difficult to be that consistent. I know what you're thinking. What happened in the other five games that you picked? Well, let's just say my perfect record was uh, obliterated. You know, it's, it's, it's so funny that Jack picked those games because I went four and one in the other five. So I could have had a four and four record depending on what he had picked on this, but that wouldn't have been nearly as funny. So I have a graphic that was put out, circulated on the internet all weekend. And yeah. Old Takes Exposed did tweet this out on Sunday. I deserved it. I deserved it. I, I take full responsibility. Terrible picking by me. The LSU one, I did, you know, Mississippi State plus nine and a half against LSU. I said, that's a big number in an SEC game. It, you know, LSU's on the road. Holy cow, Jaden Daniels was awesome. Just surgical. Tennessee, minus six and a half at Florida. Chris Callahan right here. After last week, never picked Tennessee in the swamp again. The curse is real. Chris, that wasn't a curse. I've seen Tennessee losses in the swamp that were certainly the results of some sort of curse or voodoo or whatever. That was no curse. Florida just beat them. That was exactly what Billy Napier had been promising, but we hadn't seen yet. 
So Florida just beat them. That's my bad. Colorado. They made it personal. When they made it personal, you're supposed to win by 40. But as, as Lil Wayne was leading the Buffaloes onto the field, it occurred to me that maybe they were a little bit distracted this weekend. Maybe they were not going to dominate in the fashion that they had promised. Perhaps when The Rock is there and basically every star, like Vivica A. Fox tweeted about this game. I should have thought that was going to happen. I That's my fault. It is completely my fault. I should have known it was going to become a circus. They were creating a recruiting weekend around the Colorado State game. Most teams do it around their they're better opponents, but I didn't think, didn't think they're going, okay, we'll do it this weekend and maybe they won't all come. We won't do the dog and pony show when USC's here because we got to be serious about that one. <sighs> Matt, he's a Georgia fan. Georgia fans are not happy with our offensive coordinator, Mike Bobo, right now. Andy, that's your fault for picking a Mike Bobo offense to cover a big spread did you learn nothing between 2007 and 2014? Here's my thing with you guys and Mike Bobo. I do remember 2007 to 2014. You used to say, run the damn ball, Bobo. But now you're saying, take more shots downfield, Bobo. Those are two very different things. Make up your minds. What do you want from the man? I know what you want. You want consistent, explosive plays, and you would like them to start a little faster. I got you. Kansas State minus four and a half at Missouri. Listen, when Eli Drinkwitz thought he had a timeout, thought they were in a timeout after they had clocked the ball because they had no timeouts, and they had to take a delay of game, which turned a 56-yard field goal attempt into a 61-yard field goal attempt, I was still fairly certain that K-State could win by a touchdown in overtime. I still felt pretty good about that. Harrison Mevis, I, I don't, I can't be mad at you for that. SEC record 61 yard field goal. And you kept me perfect. What can I say? Plus 16 and a half, Michigan State against Washington. My thought was Michigan State in a time of adversity would galvanize. I overthought that one too. All I should have done was just go back and watch the 2022. Michigan State-Washington game in Seattle. They couldn't cover them then. They couldn't cover them now. And they certainly couldn't cover 16 and a half. Washington annihilated Michigan State. So even though there's a bunch of points, I lose. Alabama, the Crimson Tide, going to Tampa. Schedule a game so their friends on the Gulf Coast could come see them play. USF, first-year coach and Alex Golish. What could possibly go wrong? Of course Alabama can cover 31.5 points spread. Of course. Nope. They decided to start Tyler Buckner. That goes very poorly. They bring in Ty Simpson. It doesn't go much better. And Alabama squeaks out a 17-3 win. That is the most fascinating story in college football. We're going to talk more about that on this show with Travis Ryer from Bama Online. 
But I knew the moment this game started, I was screwed on that pick. That was a horrible pick. Just awful. And then, of course, we always take the Iowa under until they prove otherwise. They proved otherwise! Iowa almost got this in and of itself. Iowa scored 41 points against Western Michigan. Iowa averaged 5.9 yards a carry against Western Michigan. So I know what you're, you're wondering. Andy, where does the drive for 325 stand? Brian Ferentz has to average 25 points a game. They have to win seven games. If both things happen, his contract does not terminate. Well, pleased to announce that Iowa is now 10 points ahead of the pace. Iowa has scored 85 points in three games. The drive for 325 is on. Brian Ferentz, feeling pretty good. Got a cushion. But they're going to Penn State next week. Do I dare risk an Iowa over? We're going to pick it. We're probably going to, we'll pick the game against the spread too. But I, I don't know what to do at this point. I had such a great week the week before. I was eight and two against the spread. Eight and two. I, I was feeling myself. And so when Jack, our, our social media guru, texted me to say, which of these do you want? I said, just pick the ones you, you find most interesting. I feel great about all of them. Guys, do not follow my advice. Fade me whenever you can. I'm just trying to provide a public service here. But I, I am kind of impressed that of all the picks on that card, not one came through through just blind luck. They all failed miserably. So if you followed my advice, I failed you miserably. But if you followed the alternate advice to fade me, again, all I can say is you're welcome. All right, new AP poll is out on Sunday. We got more than anything else. I don't really care where the teams are ranked. I care that they're going to start playing each other. And a lot of them will be playing each other. But let us do, look, Alabama falls out of the top 10 for the first time since 2015. They come in at number 13. We'll be doing the resume ranking a little bit later in the show. That's where we take only what we've seen so far this season. No preseason hype. No, none of that. Just who have you beaten? Who have you played? It'll look very different from this, obviously. But Alabama, I mean, even in this poll, I don't know if you should have Alabama in there the way they looked on Saturday. That was a bad performance. Uh, Florida enters the poll at number 25 after beating Tennessee. Tennessee ranked ahead of Florida still. They just played. One of them won fairly convincingly. I, I get that maybe later when they both got losses and that you can kind of parse them out, you might keep Tennessee ahead. But that, I never understood that. When you've got two teams with the same record, they just played each other. Just put the team that won ahead. It's not that complicated. It's just weird. Washington in the top 10 now after the, the unbelievable offensive explosion in East Lansing. But look at these games. We got Notre Dame, Ohio State, number six at number nine. That's nice. We've got Iowa 
and Penn State, 24 against seven in a whiteout. We've got Florida State, number four, going to Clemson. Clemson no longer ranked, but very important game in the ACC. And Florida State, a teeny bit shaky on Saturday. Boston College had a chance there at the end. Utah and UCLA, that's going to be a fun one. We, we can kind of see what UCLA is. And where's Utah going to be? How many, how many of Utah's regular starters do we see now that they've started Pac-12 play? Because they're trying to win a third straight conference title. They looked very good even with, without the full complement. What happens as they get healthier? So it is going to be a fun, fun week. Just a monster weekend of college football. You think about these games. Ohio State, Notre Dame, Colorado, Oregon, Florida State, Clemson, UCLA, Utah, Ole Miss, Alabama, Iowa, Penn State. All look like they could be absolute bangers. And I told you multiple times last week, there are no bad weekends in college football. Last week, Saturday was not a bad week. Not a bad day of college football. It was a lot of fun. Thanks to Colorado State for making that game very interesting with Colorado. Thanks to Florida for flipping expectations on, on their heads against Tennessee. Thanks to USF for challenging Alabama. Thanks to Alabama for whatever it is Tommy Rees is trying to do on offense and, and with those quarterbacks. It really made for a fun day. Fun day. Now, wasn't much fun as I watched all my picks fail. But again, I'm looking at the bright side. Think about how hard it is. What are the odds that I'm going to get them all wrong? Astronomical. Just astronomical. So I'm going to be pleased with my achievement. And that's, that's all there is to it. Right now, we talked about prize picks. Speaking of picks, okay, it was not the best weekend for me picking things. Prize picks, I went with DJ Uyengale, more than 225 and a half passing yards. Dylan Gabriel, more than 251 and a half passing yards. I believe he had that in the second quarter. DJ Giddens, 59 and a half rushing yards. He did not get that because Missouri did a really good job against Kansas State. They, they did a good job stopping the run. They forced Kansas State to throw, and I thought that Kansas State would be able to control that game on the ground. They did not. Travis Hunter, I had more than one half a touchdown. I thought he was going to score a touchdown against Colorado State, and maybe he would have if he hadn't been hit with a cheap shot that caused him to go to the hospital in the second half of that game. And he's going to be out for a little while. So not, not cool, not cool. Jalen Daniels, I had more than two and a half passing touchdowns. He didn't throw any passing touchdowns, but the Jayhawks did beat Nevada. So I tried. It's it just, it was not my weekend. It was not my weekend, but prize picks gives you a chance every day. If I want to make, try to try to chase on, on prize picks, I could just pop on right now and they've got plays for all the NFL games. Uh, they were offering bonuses on Saturday. Basically they were, they were sending out some, some tweets and, the more likes the tweets got, the lower Shadur Sanders passing yard total got. It's a lot of fun. It's 
available in most states, including California, Texas, and Florida. And right now, if you sign up, download that PrizePix app, use the referral code Andy, they will match your first deposit up to $100. So if you deposit $100, bucks, they will match you $100. Bucks. If you deposit $50, bucks, they will match you $50. Bucks. Referral code Andy. So go to PrizePix, download the app, you start playing right now, and they will match that deposit. Just use that referral code Andy. So next week, back on the back on the train on Prize Picks. You can fade me on there too. I, listen, I, I don't mind. It's not going to hurt my feelings. But I am coming back strong. I can tell you right now, I am coming back strong. So on Friday, when I'm going through the Prize Picks app and all the different options for the college football Saturday, and there'll be many, many options. I'm telling you, I'm getting it back. I'm coming back. This past weekend, complete anomaly. Historically, complete anomaly. But I'm coming back. Don't you worry about that. Something else that's coming back is the resume ranking. So this is something we did last week on the Mailbag Show because one of the, the viewers asked me to rank just based on resume. And we put it out on Twitter the next day with a clip and got a pretty good response. Because there, there's a lot of people who, who like it, who want you to rank teams like this. They want you to say, I don't care what the preseason hype was. I don't care what happened last year. I just want you to go based on what we've seen so far. And I think it's a very instructive way to do it. And I still think you always end up at the same place as everybody else. You can start this way and have somebody else start the more traditional way, by the end of the season, your picks are going to look fairly similar. But this was an awful, awful exercise this week. This was so hard because teams have been so inconsistent and we have so few data points and still so few Power 5 on Power 5 games that it made it almost impossible. Plus, you had clunkers from teams that were at the top of this last week and I wanted to move them down, but there was nobody to move them down in favor of. I, I didn't. I didn't even know who else to put up there. So that was part of the problem. So we'll we can start at the top of the rankings. Texas is still there, and I know what you're thinking. If you watched the first three quarters of the Wyoming game, you're like, "What in the world is Texas still doing here? Why? Why would you keep Texas at number one? First of all, the Alabama win looks worse. And second of all, they were tied with Wyoming after three quarters. The only thing I can say is the explosion in the fourth quarter, which allowed them to win 31-10, was very impressive. The Alabama win is still very impressive. We'll see what the difference is between Alabama, Jalen Milrow, and Alabama, Ty Simpson slash Tyler Buckner actually is when they play Ole Miss. We may see Milrow again. So, it may help us evaluate where Texas is at with that win. But I'm, I'm going to leave that there. They look very impressive. Number two, Florida State. Now, I thought about potentially moving Florida State up to number one because of what LSU did to Mississippi State. It makes Florida State's win against LSU look all that much more impressive. The problem was Florida State went up to Chestnut Hill and struggled with Boston College. And we talked on Saturday about why that is. And in the specific circumstances here, again, it was the red bandana game. 
that that's the one that Boston College does to honor Wells Crowther, who's a former Boston College athlete. He was a, a trader who worked in one of the towers on 9-11. He was also a volunteer firefighter. He saved 18 people's lives before losing his own. And it's one of those things where Boston College comes out of the gate and plays really hard. And that opponent is in for a challenge when they have to come in and play in that game. So I knew that was going to be tough for Florida State. Plus, you have the look-ahead factor. They're playing Clemson next week. It was, it was probably predestined. The only thing I can say is I think this is a, a game that last year's Florida State team would have lost, and they didn't. So I think I can keep them there. I don't feel that bad about keeping them there. I brought this one in. This is a team. We only did a top five last week. We're doing a top 10 this week. I've got Utah number three. Now, Utah's Baylor game was not pretty. It was, it, it, they barely won. They, they needed a, a drive at the end of the game to win the game. But what they did to Florida looks much more impressive in light of what Florida did to Tennessee. So I'm going to give Utah the benefit of the doubt. And again, Utah has been playing with, with a lot of backups. As more people get healthy, they're probably going to get better. But we'll have a very good idea where Utah's at after they play UCLA this weekend. So it may be Utah stays here. Maybe Utah moves up. Maybe UCLA moves in because they beat Utah. We will find out. Next one, another Pac-12 team. I don't know that Michigan State is all that good, but what Washington did to Michigan State was so impressive. And Michigan State was 2-0 going to that game. Now, granted, it was Western Michigan and Richmond. Or, no, excuse me, Central Michigan and Richmond. But... That was as thorough an annihilation as you're going to see. Washington looks like they can play with anybody. So I've got them there. Five, Duke. Duke dismantled Northwestern. We've seen what Duke did to Clemson. I'm excited to see what Mike Elko does with this team this year. Riley Leonard's awesome. Six, I've got Notre Dame. I don't know how good the NC State win is. I'll be, I'll be perfectly honest with you here. But they've been fairly dominant in all their games. And so I'm going to leave, I left Notre Dame in the ranking. I, I dropped him a tad because I put Utah in there and it, it bumped and I put Washington in there and bumped people down. But here's the thing. If Notre Dame beats Ohio state, they're going to be one in this ranking next week. If they lose to Ohio state, we'll see where we put them. It all depends on how the game goes. I'm not going to be one of those people, though, if you lose by one to a team that's supposed to be awesome, that I drop you way down in the rankings. You may stay exactly where you are because I never thought there, I never saw the logic in doing that. I never saw the logic in dropping a team that lost to a team that it allegedly was supposed to lose to. And I believe Ohio State's a slight favorite here. So we'll see how that game goes. But that's what Notre Dame has a chance to move to number one. Uh, number seven, Miami. I, again, I, I don't know exactly how good the Texas A&M win it was. Texas A&M looked smooth again against an overmatched opponent on Saturday, but we will have a chance to see what Texas A&M can do as they, they get into conference play. Miami will get into conference play. We'll have a much better idea. Number eight, I've got Colorado. I don't know that the, the Colorado State win does anything. TCU, the team that that Colorado beat in week one did go win its big 12 opener at Houston. It, it was kind of touch and go for a minute, but then TCU turned on the jets. 
Nebraska, the other team that Colorado beat, did win its first game. Well, notched its first win against Northern Illinois. Number nine, North Carolina. I tinkered with the idea of putting North Carolina higher. They've got the win against South Carolina. You saw how South Carolina played against Georgia. South Carolina played very well against the Bulldogs for definitely the first half. It got to where they couldn't couldn't hang anymore in the middle of the third quarter. But we all assume that Georgia is going to make the college football playoff. Georgia is the prohibitive favorite in the SEC. So the fact that that's a team that North Carolina beat looking pretty good, that, that obviously makes North Carolina look pretty good. Now, they barely beat Appalachian State, but they still beat them. And that's a program that has been historically pretty good. You've also got Minnesota. Came into Chapel Hill, and North Carolina had a pretty – it wasn't easy, per se, but they made it look kind of easy. So very impressed with Mac Brown's team. It's much more much more complete than last year's, which, by the way, won its division of the ACC and played for the ACC title. So very impressed with them so far. Number 10, Penn State. The West Virginia win looking better because West Virginia won the backyard brawl, but the Illinois win – I thought it was not perfect. Offensively, they kind of messed around a little bit. Johnny Newton did have a great game for Illinois. You, you heard him, the law firm, Johnny Newton, Keith, Randall, uh, Keith Randolph, the two defensive tackles. You heard them earlier when we were at Big Ten Media Days on this show. That's a good tandem. Penn State struggled a little bit with them. So when they play better defensive lines, I, I, I'm, I'm now a little bit worried. But... They still really controlled that game with their defense. And so I, I'm, I'm having that at 10. And then you're going to say, where's Georgia? Where's Ohio State? Where's USC? Where's Michigan? Well, they all have their chance to play their way into this. But the problem is they haven't really gotten to play anybody of consequence yet. Ohio State, we'll see what they look like against Notre Dame. But they certainly be in here. Georgia, they don't have really the super marquee opponent, although we'll see where Florida is, where Tennessee is, and they play them. But Georgia is getting going now. Georgia gets into SEC play, and, and we'll, we'll see a little bit more from them and, and have a better idea of where they, where they land on this deal. But they'll all get in there eventually. Alabama may get it back in there eventually. We'll, we'll see because they got to figure out their quarterback situation, and it is a mess. I have... I just think it's it's stunning. I'm not used to seeing this from Nick Saban coach teams. I don't think anybody else is either. And so I don't know what happens next here. But I asked somebody who knows a lot more about Alabama. Travis Ryer of Bama Online. Join the show. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we discussed a quarterback situation that after Alabama's most recent run of success at that position... It's a day we never thought we'd see, but here it is. Let's talk to Travis. 
We're now by Travis Ryer of Bama Online. You can hear him on all of Bama Online's podcasts and uh, had one up right after the Alabama-USF game talking about the Alabama quarterback situation. And, and Travis, this is the most fascinating story to me in college football. It, as many, like Colorado, Oregon's this week, Ohio State, Notre Dame's this week. All I want to talk about is who Alabama going to start against Ole Miss. I mean, after that 2 a.m. finish last night to prime – and CSU, this still ranks ahead of that, Andy? Wow, that's saying something. Yes, yes, because because I do think actually think Colorado-Oregon is going to be a good game. Like, I think that was their look ahead. The Rock and Lil Wayne are there. You're just you're not, you're not thinking about the opponent at hand. Like, none of that's happening this week. It's all locked down. There will be no rappers at practice. Like, they're just going to be fine. Alabama, the whole world is going to be watching this because – there's there's some schadenfreude. I never get that word right, but schadenfreude to it, I think some, but also just general bewilderment because most of us have never seen a Nick Saban team look less than competent on either side of the ball. And that was less than competent. That that was, oh my God, you don't know what's you guys don't know what you're doing here. It was rough. It's been rough for a couple of weeks now. And look, even against Texas, though, they hit some explosive plays. Yeah. You know, with Jalen Milrow in there, they had nine completions of 17 yards or more. They didn't come close to that. It's at South Florida with Buckner and uh, Ty Simpson in there. Give Ty Simpson credit the second half. He did what he needed to do. They got behind that run game finally and that offensive line probably looked more like what Alabama should look like offensively in the second half. Uh, but absolutely, when you talk about intrigue going into an SEC opener, especially with the guy on the other sideline, uh, there's not many <laughs> years where you would go into this game, at least in recent years, and say Jackson Dart is a big advantage to Ole Miss in this game. And all due respect to Jackson Dart, love the guy, tough, you know, gets the job done in Lane's offense, but that's the biggest concern you have for Alabama going into Ole Miss week, for sure. I love how you say the guy on the other sideline, and I'm just like, wait, are you talking about Lane Kiffin or Pete Golding? <laughs> Both. Yeah, you can have your like pick. Pete Golding right? sitting there going, how can I heat up Ty Simpson if that's who's playing? Because you've watched USF yesterday. A lot of it was they'd send more than, than could be blocked. And when, when you send more than the protection calls for, so if you've got a five-man protection and they send six, if the quarterback gets sacked, it's on the quarterback because there's supposed to be somebody open that you can just automatically dump to. Yeah, and even yesterday, they tried to protect with eight. I mean, there were breakdowns when they had eight-man protection. They had five <laughs> offensive linemen, two tight ends, and a back. And, yeah, they were giving up sacks. And part of it does go back to the quarterback. There's no doubt about it. Um, you got to be able to get off that first guy and get your check down. Uh, that's been a struggle for them with any of the three quarterbacks they've played. You know, Buckner yesterday had some opportunities in the first half, some of those staples of the Alabama passing attack, the deep out, the deep over, and then the post to Jermaine Burton that he barely missed. So um, it wasn't a, a statement performance in Tampa, I don't think, by either quarterback. Again, Ty did what he needed to do in the second half, and because of that, I think Alabama fans are going into Ole Miss week thinking, is he the guy? Could he be the guy? Is there any other guys at this point? Well, Nick Saban talked about it and said they're going to evaluate it. And the way he mentioned Jalen Milrow specifically, 
he made it sound like it's going to be a reappraisal of, of Jalen Milrow. And, and I, I wanted to talk to you about that because the offense that they're running seems better suited to someone like Ty Simpson. But there is an offense that exists within the Alabama playbook. Because the Alabama playbook is like a cheesecake factory menu. It has it has 24 pay, like it has burgers, it has pasta, it has everything. You could build an offense that highlights what Jalen Milrow does well out of what's already in that playbook and probably be pretty effective with it. Like of the older quarterbacks, and we'll, we'll get to a certain freshman in a minute, but of the older quarterbacks, that seems like the, the highest ceiling offense that they have this year. Well, with Jalen in there for the most part in the first two games, they averaged over nine yards per pass attempt, which is up there with what we've seen in previous years with Tua, with Mac. Uh, with Bryce even. Um, but there's also the fundamental mistakes that Jalen will make from time to time that obviously in the Texas game resulted in 10 points for the Longhorns. So uh, that's still going to be the big question with Jalen moving forward. Also from Nick's postgame comments Saturday, I took it as, as if maybe Jalen didn't respond to the situation right. post-Texas uh, like Nick would have liked. So that may have taken him out of the equation altogether for USF, yeah. leaving it to – Simpson and Buckner to sort of figure out between them. So I, at this point, I wouldn't rule anything out. I, I don't think it's probably too late for Jalen to get back into this thing. Uh, and I know we're going to talk about maybe Dylan Lonergan, big picture wise. Let's do it. Uh, let's let's have it. Because every time Tim Watts comes on, and it's not just it, maybe it's a little bit me playing your message board, just a little bit. But I'm like all the people on your message board. I'm the same person. I saw the spring game. I watched him walk in and be like, oh, oh I'm. I'm here. I'm here to dominate. And it's like, oh. And it, in my mind, I'm like, okay, I don't know what defense he's going against. This is going to be a complete mirage. But I'm all in on that guy. <laughs> but is, is it possible that there are some people who are just guys, that they are built for that sort of – and, you know, I, I you talk to Alabama quarterbacks, and they'll tell you the pressure – you know, if you talk to John Parker Wilson, Greg McElroy, those people, the, the pressure of that position is so intense. I think you have to be built to deal with it. And that's the thing that, that fascinates me about all of these guys, these five scholarship quarterbacks is how do you even know until you put them in there in a game? And I think just in terms of skill set for what they're trying to do right now, Dylan Lonergan is the best fit. As you said, if they want to go back to more of a 2016, at least a hybrid of that with what they want to do, say in the drop back passing game or when they spread the field, okay, I think those can fit Simpson and Buckner and Milrow. I think all three of those guys are pretty similar in terms of if you want to play to their strengths, what you really need to do. With Lonergan, if you want to throw that deep uh, over, if you want to throw the, the deep ball, if you really want to spread the ball around to all these guys around the quarterback, uh, he's got probably more of that potential and that ability. Uh, I'm sure Nick is is trying not to go there uh, at this point, but uh, this feels like a bridge year right now, regardless. It, it feels like a bridge year at quarterback. Uh, right now, the three guys we've seen don't feel like the big picture guys, at least as, at, at this point. But when you think about Dylan Lonergan and Julian Sayan coming in, you know you think more along those lines for 2024 and beyond. Well, and Lonergan's an interesting one because Eli Holstein was the higher-rated recruit in this class, although Lonergan is a very highly-rated recruit as well. But I don't know. I, 
I always find that interesting. And I, you know, with Alabama, you can always make the comparison back to Mac Jones, who said, oh, I don't care that two is in this class. I'm happy to sign. I, I'm willing to compete. And I do think that mentality is pretty important. Uh, we've seen it a few times uh, recently in the SEC. Kyle Trask was the same way at Florida, where that guy ends up being pretty damn good. And so I think maybe that's part of the, the romanticism with uh, with Lonergan. I guess we'll see if they, if they actually are willing to put him in a game. I could be completely wrong, and I'll feel horrible if that happens because it, you are, you're talking about a true freshman being thrown into SEC play. That would well, be quite challenging. Yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a tall mountain. There's no doubt. But if you're going to have some freshman-like mistakes – uh, from the guys that you're already playing, like yeah, throwing into trap coverage, freshman. throwing yeah. into trap coverage against Texas uh, in your third year in the program, it, it makes it maybe a little bit easier at some point, perhaps, to go there. Do you think Tyler Buckner gets another chance? That's a tough one because, you know, Jalen at least got the whole half against Texas. And we didn't see that with Tyler Buckner against USF he was out before halftime and so that evaluation seemed to be cut a little bit shorter I was surprised that Tyler seemed to struggle with nerves as much as he did in that game Saturday because again this is a guy coming from Notre Dame he's made some starts in some big spots at one of the preeminent programs in all of college football and it just seemed like he was unsettled from the start not so much in terms of how he administered the offense or carried things out uh, from a management perspective, but just some, you know, throw and catch situations, yeah. you know, hitches, it, it, and, and they weren't just off a little bit. They were off a lot. And then when he had opportunities down the field in the second quarter, it felt like he really needed to hit on those. And Nick pretty much told the same thing about Milrow there late in the second mm -hmm. quarter into the third quarter at Texas. If he hadn't gotten things going, the hook was probably coming for Milrow at that point. Well, and, and with Buckner, it is weird because the last time he started a game was against a much better team than USF. He beat South Carolina in the Gator Bowl. It wasn't a perfect game for him, but he played pretty well, especially because he was coming off an injury and a long layoff. Like that That's the part. Like It's weird that the moment might seem too big because he's been in bigger moments than that. And I think also what you're asking him to do, is he really confident in his ability to carry that out? And I say yeah. that, again, with all three of these quarterbacks. If you're going to ask them to drop back, just drop back and, and deliver from the pocket on a consistent basis, for me, I don't think that plays into their strengths. I think they almost have to be more along the lines of a Sam Hartman or one of these guys yeah. that you can get going in zone read type concepts uh, and then create some windows and some easier throws uh, from that perspective. Get them on the move. You know, Get these guys moving, too. Um, I was just really surprised with Jalen in the two games that he played that the design quarterback runs really, really weren't a part of the offense. And when I think about these three guys, I think that with all three of them, it, it, it's a surprise if it isn't. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing I was about to go there. That really makes Jalen special, but you could do that with Buckner and Simpson too, who are very mobile guys, but uh, with Jalen that can give you something the defense really has to to consider on every play. I, I think you're right. You know, a lot of read option between him and McClellan or him and Roydell Williams. I would be very concerned about that as an opposing defensive coordinator. I would have to spend a lot of time on practice with that. And 
you know, Alabama has all that RPO game in the playbook where it's, you can go read option, have a guy coming over the middle and it, it's I, actually I thought, a fairly easy decision for the quarterback. I thought Buckner on the few throws he hit Saturday, they were off of RPO action and he yeah. seemed to be comfortable with that more than just a straight drop back game. Um, and I agree. I think if I'm an opposing defensive coordinator and you're going to make me defend Jalen Milrow like Derek King before the injury, I'm much more worried about you doing that with him than if you try to make him say Deshaun Watson. Yeah, that's exactly right. So let's talk about opposing defensive coordinator because everybody at Alabama is very familiar with this opposing defensive coordinator. And I, this feels like a legacy game for Pete Golding. Like, all these people thought I, you know, thought I was I was the problem, and now I have a chance to to really wreck their world. How big? I know, and, and obviously he's not even going to do interviews this week. But how big of a game for this for him? Do you think this is? Oh, you know, there's in in his heart of hearts, he wants this one. He wants to be able to do the Vince McMahon strut out of Bryant Denny Stadium on Saturday evening. And look, with the quarterback situation being what it is. Uh, it's possible that at a minimum, Alabama has to win a kind of game that is more reminiscent of Gene Stallings uh, back in the 90s than it is anything that we've seen in the last six or seven years. So the concern for Alabama is Lane and that offense, even as talented as this Alabama defense is, and Alabama's had some really talented defenses go against Ole Miss even before Lane with Hugh and have to score yeah. in the 40s to win games. 2016 in Oxford. I mean, you want to talk about a defense for all time in terms of just I, 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 NFL I was draft. And Nick Saban you think was about Jonathan so happy. Allen, Jonathan yep. Allen, Deron Payne, Eddie yep. Jackson, Marlon Humphrey. I mean, you could go on and on. And they still had to score, I think, in the 40s to win that they, game. So they did. that's the concern I, for Alabama is they they may be forced to into a, a comfort level that isn't all that comfortable offensively this week. Yeah, I, I just remember after that 2016 Ole Miss game thinking – Nick Saban is relieved in the press conference because a lot of times when they would they would win close, he would come out kind of fired up with some things they could clean up. He was just like, "I am so happy to get out of here and then with a win because this was very stressful." And you're right. And that was in the year when they were they were getting non-offensive touchdowns by yes. punches. Remember that? Yeah. Oh Punch yeah. Return in that game, you had a defensive yep. touchdown, at least one, maybe two in that game. So when we say score in the 40s, they were able to do it in ways not just involving the offense. Yeah. And the thing is, a bad offense puts a lot of stress on your defense. It's, you know, it's what we've talked about with Iowa for the past few years, where it's amazing their defense has been able to operate at the level it has because their offense keeps putting it in bad positions. And that's, that's where Alabama's at. Because that, as good as that defense is, you can only put it back on the field so many times, especially against these up-tempo teams, before people just get worn out. Yeah, I think for Alabama this week with Ole Miss, it's going to be similar, or the hope for Alabama is going to be similar to two years ago when Lane and that anticipated, mm -hmm. get your popcorn, remember Lane <laughs> yep. telling us on national television? Alabama slowed that game down and kept it about Brian Robinson and the run game. Uh, and was able to limit possessions for Ole Miss. Uh, time of possession was heavily in Alabama's favor. So I think it's, it's going to take something similar from Alabama uh, coming up yep. next week.
Well, I, I was in Gainesville yesterday, watched a very similar situation unfold in the Florida-Tennessee game. Billy Napier was very happy to take the air out of the football and sit on that lead. The problem for Alabama is you got to be able to build that lead and then you got to figure out the QB thing to do it. So, Travis Ryer, thank you so much and uh, enjoy all the intrigue this week. <laughs> Just a little traffic around Bama online, you know, with the quarterbacks and everything else. We, oh, we'll I, do our best. Thanks, Andy. I know my Lonergan hive in the in the message boards. I know I know where they're it's, at. It's we're, not we're all Dylan. we're all on the same page here. It's not Dylan. It's Dylan. D E A L I E. I love it. <laughs> Dylan Lonergan. Let's go. <laughs> Thanks, Travis. If they go to the freshman, and he winds up being good, I might I might take credit for all that because I. I I threw that on the old show after the the spring game. I remember saying, it's one series. I understand I'm being completely irrational. But this guy, he's got something. Now, it would would mean a failure of Tommy Rees and and this staff to, to develop those older quarterbacks or to do anything with those older quarterbacks if they have to resort to that. But if one of the freshmen, and I'm assuming it'd be Lonergan because it seems like he's ahead of Eli Holstein, if one of them had to come in and do the job, if they're getting it done, they're getting it done. And this is this is a day and age of college football when playing a true freshman quarterback is not the end of the world. A lot of times they are perfectly ready to go. So I think this is this is a very interesting test for Nick Saban, for Tommy Rees. It's a, you know, it's a different world with Tommy Rees in there now. And, and, you know, when Saban made that hire, it was interesting because it was not going, you know, onto the bench. It's not calling somebody up from the bench. Saban had had a pretty deep bench of coordinators before. And even with Kiffin, Kiffin had worked as an analyst for a few months before they made in the OC. So that they had some, everybody had some kind of trial period, they kind of understood what they were getting themselves into. Saban understood how they worked. This is different. This is different. You have Paul Feinbaum saying that, that the Reese hire has been a disaster and it hadn't been good so far. He, he's got to figure this out because the way it works when you go to Alabama is you learn their language, their playbook, which is diverse and broad and you can do pretty much whatever you want. But you've got to build an offense around the quarterback and around what they do best. They weren't doing that with Milrow as the quarterback. Perhaps this offense works better with Ty Simpson or is built more for Ty Simpson, but that's not the question. The question is, which is what gives you the best chance to win? Let's hear what Nick Saban said after the game about their quarterbacks. We're going we're gonna to go through a lot of press conference sounds from week three explain some of the things that happened and and add a little you know shed a little light on things here's how, here's what Nick Saban said right off the bat in his and I know you're going to ask me about quarterback but we're going to evaluate the quarterbacks that played today and evaluate Jalen Milrow in terms of how he played and uh, decide you know this week who gives us the best opportunity to to be successful as an offensive team and that's the way we'll go now he's not going to tell you anything that may leak out our, our guy Chris Lowe might might get that that scoop Friday afternoon when it's too late for the opposing defenses to 
to do anything about that information, but they're not going to, to just straight up tell us this week what's going to happen. But I thought that was interesting the way he said we're going to reevaluate, we're going to evaluate Jalen Milrow, which sounds like maybe it wasn't going to be a possibility of him playing this week. Maybe they decided it's going to be Buckner and Simpson's show, and we're going to see which one of them can do it and then test that against what we've seen already from Milrow as we try to figure out who can best help in SEC play. I don't know. But if it's Milrow, there's a way, like there's a path forward with Milrow. And it's just building more QB run into the offense because Milrow's arm is strong. He can he can hit explosive plays down the field. Like he's not a athlete playing quarterback. You know, he, he's a great athlete, but not what we used to think of as just that uh, basically a wildcat running back. Like he has a great arm. But you got to do the stuff that, that works best with him. And, and that might be kind of what they did with Jalen Hurts early in his career at Alabama. That, that might be the best solution for that offense. So we'll see. But here's Nick Saban on, uh, on Ty Simpson, who was the last quarterback into the game who got to finish. He didn't get yanked. thought he did okay. Um, you know, he made a couple of really good throws and, you know, we missed a couple, you know, big play throws that, um, you know, we've been making some of those. But um, I thought he played well. He managed the game well. Uh, we ran the ball quite a bit when he was in there. I don't think the sacks were necessarily his fault. So, um, you know, we'll evaluate it when we watch the film. Not exactly a ringing endorsement. So, they'll evaluate it. Probably have more open or quasi-open competition at practice. And we'll see who they trot out against Ole Miss. It, the, the Pete Golding factor in this game is fascinating. You know, that, that adds another layer of intrigue. The guy that the Alabama fans ran off, didn't, didn't want him to be there, thought he was a, a major problem. Now he has a chance to come in and terrorize a quarterback who may not be very good, whoever that is, whoever they decided to throw out. We've seen three quarterbacks so far. None of them have been extremely impressive. Now, Milrow might be better than the two we saw on Saturday. And we're just saying that, that he looked bad against Texas, and maybe Texas makes everybody look bad. That's entirely possible, too. You, you heard Tavondre Sweat on this show. He said he came back to win a natty, and that defensive line seems to be doing its part so far for Texas. So it might be that that's it. But So I, I think if I had to guess, though – it would be interesting and kind of fun if they went to, to Dylan Lonergan. The, the odds suggest that it's Milrow again, that he probably gives them the best chance to win unless they decide to go with a fresh and, you know, just trying to rip it all up. But of the three we've seen, I feel like Milrow probably does give them the best chance to win. Let us move to Boulder where all of the things were going on. Lil Wayne, The Rock. Stars everywhere. Dion was profiled on 60 Minutes again Sunday night. They profiled him at Jackson State less than a year ago. They, uh, John Wertheim tweeted out that they have a rule 
that you're not supposed to profile anybody twice in a, in a one year span, but they felt like it was this big of a deal. And then that's, that's the Dion effect. The amount of people tuned in, the people engaged with all this stuff. It's a different crowd. It's the usual college football crowd. Plus he's bringing more people into the tent. The question is, did the circus get too big this weekend and cause them to almost lose a game? It's that is so tough. That's a great question. The Rock could be our president if he wants to be. And with 390 million followers, I mean, if he just asks everybody to give a dollar to this university, I think we have no problems with uh, you know, the NIL. Uh, the conversations I just had in the, my room with Key Glock and some of those guys from Memphis, and yeah, with Cameron. Um, just, I love Lil Wayne like he's my son. Like he, you know, speaking to his mother before the game as well. There's so many different moments of uh, being on the different sets and seeing these beautiful, wonderful fans all congregate together. Campus was electric today. I don't know if some of you got a chance to witness it, but I don't know how it's been in the past, but campus was, were elect, was electric today. And, uh, don't dismiss the fact that we always recruit. So when those college kids that are recruiting trips see this kind of stuff, it's it's one of the big, big fellas just said, hey, man, it's different. This is straight out different here. And we had some dogs here on recruiting trips today. Yeah, including a D lineman who's committed to Alabama right now in the class of 2024. They, they A lot of that was about recruiting. A lot of it was about recruiting. And I do wonder, did they do all of that this weekend? Would they repeat it with USC in town in two weeks? I don't know. And they've got Oregon next week in Austin. And there's going to be a lot of attention on that game too. But that's not their stadium. They're not in control of the hoopla around the game. So probably I, I imagine they can lock in a little more. But Dion talked about the resilience of this team coming away with a win at a time when they probably could have bagged it. Um, I know you said you wanted to dominate this game. Yeah. Clearly, it didn't go that fashion. That's right. Is there a different kind of satisfaction that yeah. comes with this type of win? Resilience. I mean, the guys, they had, shoot, they had every opportunity in the world to give up. They had every opportunity in the world to give in. They, they didn't. And uh, they never doubted themselves on the sideline. I mean, we were upset with some of the things not being executed that were called, but these young men never they never give up and I went and I told the line I said guys we just need six plays just give us six plays six plays we're gonna score we'll get the extra point six plays just give us six hard plays and and that's what they did and of course Dion's kids didn't get it did get into the mix Shadour with an incredible performance at quarterback in the fourth quarter in overtime he didn't have his best game before that but he he was very much in charge in control at the end of that game but also Shiloh with a pick six. And afterward, you know, their dad's pretty good in a press conference, but the, the boys do all right in their own right when they're on the mic. We got to give a round of applause for the pick six, man. Clutch brothers. For the pick six, man. He tried to do dad's dance, but he thought he was going to get cut. I know. I was, I was going to extend that pick. I was just going to, like, go to the side like Madden, but I was like, ah, oh, this guy's mad, and he's running pretty fast. <laughs> Can y'all hear me on the mic? Yeah. Yeah, that was close though. 
But at the end of the day, it's entertainment. And, uh, <laughs> hey, them ticket prices was worth it today. So, <laughs> nah, me, and, me and Shador just playing before. We was like, let's make it close today for the fans. No, nah, I ain't <laughs> say that. I ain't say that. Nah, he, he capping now. You know, we went, it's a script, you know. <laughs> First of all, I do love that they're basically referencing the the NFL rigged meme with Colorado rigged. But I do wonder if Shadour hadn't said anything as Shiloh was joking about them saying let's make it interesting. How many how many writers would have gone ahead and said, "Oh, they they deliberately slacked off to make it more interesting to to raise the ratings." No, that's not what happened. They, they didn't want to be in a game like that in the fourth quarter, but they were, but Hey, they get it. It's entertainment. And this is what I keep telling it. If, if you're not Kirby smart, if you're not Ryan day, if you're not Jim Harbaugh, if you're not in a position to win national titles, be in a position, position to be entertaining. It will work for you. One guy who, whose team was very entertaining to its home crowd on Saturday night was Billy Napier. I was at the swamp. It was as loud, as electric as it's been in a long, long time. And I think part of the reason for that, obviously, was they love beating Tennessee in Gainesville. But they also finally got to see what Billy Napier has been promising. And in terms of style of play, in terms of, of result, in terms of talent on the field, you Trevor Etienne, I think, was the, the one where you look and say, okay, this is a guy that Billy Napier signed. He got him in the boat right when he got the job. And he's clearly different than, than what else was on the field. And that matters. That's, that's what Billy Napier said, that it's a roster rebuild. It's going to take a little while. But they needed proof of concept. The people in, in Gainesville, the, the Florida fan base, needed proof of concept. And they got it. And you know, interesting, kind of open comment from Billy Napier after the game about just getting that proof of concept, not just for the fans, but also for the people in the building because they needed to believe it too. Well, I think, it, um, you know, I think as a leader, what you want is you want your people. We, we, I can't say the amount of work that's been done since we hit the ground here. Okay, look, I know we haven't won as many games as we'd like to win, but the amount of work that our people have done since we hit the ground here till today, obviously we have a lot of work left to do. You want to see your people experience uh, some success, right? See the fruits of their labor. Um, and look, I'm not just talking about the players, I'm talking about the adults too, right? I mean, um, so we worked hard and um, that's the thing that it gives you. It validates your plan. It validates um, what you're selling to some degree, the things that you continue to harp on. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think you just, that's what you want as a leader, right? And ultimately, when I woke up after the Utah game, that's, that's what I think about. Like, I think about our people. I hate it. You know, I hate looking in their eyes and seeing that, if that makes sense. So. That's a lot more fun. A Trevor's run. So I, I think that's probably the most open Billy Napier's been since he got to Florida about what's going on and how tough the job is and, and what they 
what they intend to do. And, and look, I would not blame anybody for having doubts after that Utah game because this is a, a program where they, they talk about their attention to detail. The attention to detail didn't look great. And, and what's interesting about the Florida game this weekend, it started out with a false start in the first play. They miss a field goal. They miss an extra point. It was surprising because it it looked like it was happening all over again. And then it was like a switch flip. They suddenly looked crisp. The offensive play calls were getting in quick. Stuff was hitting. It looked very different. And uh, Graham Mertz, the, the quarterback, very efficient first half. His numbers weren't going to set the world on fire in terms of yardage. But he got them out of some tight spots, converted some third downs, and they were very good on third down in the first half. And Graham Mertz, in his first SEC game at the Swamp, definitely enjoyed the experience in his new home stadium. Yeah, just being able to put together those four touchdown drives in the first half, um, what was working, what was clicking, uh, have the kind of completion percentage you had also 17 and 20. Yeah, I think the big thing um, that I was proud about was we hit on it after week one. We said, look, we didn't, we didn't flat out didn't execute. And then the thing I'm proud of is that the guys took that to heart. In the moments where we needed to execute, the guys wanted and we executed. I think that goes back to the work week. Tennessee's a great team, and I'm proud of how, how we executed when the moment when, when you needed to make the play. Coach always talks about it, make the play. And I think across the board, we saw guys from young guys, old guys, um, across the board, guys are just making that play. So it was definitely, I'm definitely proud of this group. And also, a little surprise at the end of the game. So that was Graham Mertz. He seems very happy, content in his, his new spot. Uh, Wisconsin obviously did not go the way he wanted it to. Florida is a place where you got to deliver week after week. Now they they have Charlotte this week. Interestingly enough, you know you know who coaches Charlotte? Our, our friend Biff Pogey. We had him on the show a few weeks ago. He's one of the most interesting people in college football. He was a kind of guy behind the guy recently at Michigan. Great high school coach in Maryland. Ran a hedge fund, made lots and lots of money. Is a fascinating person. He's now one and two at Charlotte. They lost to Georgia State on Saturday and, and didn't really play well on either side of the ball. But he was especially upset with his offense. And so if you are Florida and you've got Charlotte coming in, I do not know how useful the film of Charlotte's first three games are going to be on offense if Biff is to be taken at his word. I don't think I've ever heard a coach say this out loud in a press conference. After three weeks. Oh, I haven't figured. I got to look at the film, obviously. And, but I wasn't pleased with the offense at all today. And I don't know if I'm going to make changes in the offense as far as the staff goes. Um, I'm certainly going to look at it hard over the next two days because I don't like what we're doing. Um, I, I don't like I don't like the uh, – we've morphed away from – what I said we were going to be, which was a downhill running um, gap scheme play action pass team. And right now, I don't think we are that. Come on, boys. So, right now, I don't think we are that. And I think what happens is that um, 
what, what, I, what I have wanted has gotten eroded over time. Um, part of that is because as a head coach, you're doing so many things, and I spend so many, uh, so much time with the players um, that I can't be in every meeting. Um, but I'm going to have to be in them, it looks like. And I got to tell you, if I have to go up in the booth and call on myself, I will. So obviously, when your previous head coaching experience is at the high school level, it's quite a big organizational jump into the FBS. And, and, and look, Biff Pogey has been very successful in business. He's run companies. He, he knows how hard it is to take over something new and, and figure out how it all works. This is one of those he's got to figure out either he trusts the people he's hired or he's got to micromanage everything. That doesn't sound like a very pleasant way to live, but it sounds like there'll be some very tough conversations in the Charlotte field house this week. And I will be very interested to see what team shows up in Gainesville and what they look like. You know, talk about being a downhill running gap scheme, play action pass team. That's nice to wish for. It's hard to do unless you've got some serious dudes up front. You, you've got to have some really good athletes up front to pull that off. Michigan pulls it off because they have some really good offensive linemen. So we will see what Biff Pogey does. This feels like an inflection point in his first year as Charlotte's head coach. But he's, he's like I said, one of the most interesting coaches in America, and he keeps getting more interesting. Uh, another coach that I, I was interested to hear from is Matt Campbell. Iowa State's coach, they lost to Ohio at Ohio. They went to Athens, Ohio and lost on Saturday. And after the game, there's video of a guy in an Iowa State shirt as the team is walking out toward the bus. And he's yelling at Matt Campbell. And basically, Matt Campbell, you're on the hot seat. And when he says that, Campbell's already walked past him and he's probably 20 yards away at this point. Campbell turns back and basically has to be held back by some people from coming to go, you know, confront this guy. And it's just an interesting spot for Matt Campbell because a few years ago, he was the toast of college football. There were job offers, or at least there were expressions of interest if he was interested. And he stayed at Ohio State, excuse me, stayed at Iowa State and, you know, said, oh, no, we're going we're gonna to make it work here. We're going to do it here. And they were winning there at a, a clip that Iowa State is not used to winning at. And now they had a tough year, fired their offensive coordinator, trying something new with Nate Shieldhaas. But so far, it looks like they're, they're struggling. And obviously, the gambling investigation that, that cost them their starting quarterback, that has a lot to do with it too. But it feels like a lesson. When you have a chance to go cash in and a bunch of schools want you and they want to hire you and they throw money at you, you probably should take it because that was an Iowa State fan yelling at Matt Campbell saying he was on the hot seat. I don't know that every Iowa State fan feels that way, but if this keeps going badly, they all will. And then the window closed. And... It's tough because you want to be loyal. You want to do things the right way. But the problem is the, the, way this, the way this whole system works is you will get chewed up and spit out 
if you don't take advantage of those opportunities. So let's hear from Matt Campbell after that game. I, like, the simplicity of it is I thought the kids wanted it more. Uh, they were the more physical team. Um, again, very better team championship team. And they wanted it more. Their kids wanted it more. They were the more physical team. And later in that interview, he says, that's all my fault. That's on me. But there's no excuse for that. And at what point does the Iowa State fan base get mad? I, they, I don't think they should. I think Matt Campbell's given them some pretty good years. But I also think there, there's probably a lot of wondering now as they watch Brock Purdy in the NFL – of, oh, how much of this was Brock Purdy? It's a legitimate question now. But I don't think Matt Campbell has forgotten how to coach. That, that team last year was extraordinarily unlucky on top of also not being very good offensively. But it's a very interesting situation because Matt Campbell really could have been elsewhere making a bunch of money at a job where it's not so hard to win. But... He did stay at Iowa State, wanted to, wanted to stick it out there. And I, I hope they can turn it around for his sake because I, I would hate to see that, that group say, you know what, we don't think you should be here anymore. But the way they're going, there's a danger of that. So they got to get that turned around. One coach who did not get it turned around, he did get fired. He did live that buyout life. He's currently living that buyout life. But now he's also doing some something that yours truly is doing. On this show, we rep Roback. Roback's one of our sponsors. We're very proud to have Roback as one of our sponsors. But they have uh, they've brought a new endorser into the stable. And man, he's a natural. Coach O, Ed Ogeron. Listen, won himself a national title at LSU. They told him to go. He said, what door do you want me to leave out of and where are you sending the check? He's living his best life right now. And apparently, that involves uh, him filling in for Roback CEO. Here is the new ad that dropped this weekend. I'm about to go on maternity leave, as you can see. And we need to hire an interim CEO here at Roback. Our first call with my dear friend and national champion, Coach O. Coach O is taking our warehouse to the next level. How you gonna play football with your eyes down? Quick hands, quick hips, quick feet, just like that. They're counting on us, they're counting on us. Eyes up, eyes up, eyes up, eyes up. Needless to say, he's an excellent motivator. Hey everybody, employee of the month, let's get back. Oh, yeah, baby, yeah, baby, here we go. We're gonna beat it with our quality. We're gonna beat it with our prices. We're the best damn active red in the world. You understand that? He also started a new slogan for the company. Every time we close, we say, go Roback. Thank you for your support. Go Roback. Go Roback. Go Roback. Hey, go Roback. It is so fun to see him in the trenches with our design and marketing teams. For this season, we're running purple and more Tiger print polos. Go Roback. Go Roback. All of our website photography will look like this. I know you're the mascot, but I really think our logo ought to be a tiger. What do you think? And to cap it off, he finishes every day with a press conference. Our cards have never been better. Our KPIs are through the roof. Best fit, best feel. Go roll back. Was we honestly good. couldn't feel more comfortable leaving the company in such amazing hands. Help me keep this job. Go to rollback.com. Check out the best active wear of the market.
Go roll back. Don't even do it again. Do they need me anymore? I don't even know. I hope they do. Those, ho those hoodies are really comfortable. They, they, uh, hopefully they still need me because I, I like when I get to wear those hoodies on the show. But that's Coach O right there. That is, that is a man who is enjoying that buyout life. They also had another commercial last week where he did a, another fake press conference and they asked him you know, about the Florida-Tennessee game. He had some great stories about the win in Gainesville that, that's basically solidified his position as LSU's head coach, be it, be it temporarily, but solidified it. And then talked about working at Tennessee and, and, and living in Knoxville and loving it there. Uh, and then he picked Tennessee. So like me at Orgeron, got all his picks wrong. And like me, we both love Roback. That's all there is to it. Dear Andy show on Monday night, get your questions in. You can hit me up on X at Andy underscore staples. You can email your questions to Andy Staples on three at gmail.com. I've already gotten a few, got one on video already. I love it when you send the questions on the video. They're so much fun. Be a part of the show. Uh, got a couple really good questions. One about offensive philosophy that I had not thought about it this way. I think we're all going to have something to chew on when we get to this question on Monday night. But we'll also have Jim Nagy from the Senior Bowl talking about the, the guys we want to see in these monster matchups this weekend. And man, there are a lot coming up. We got to get you ready for Notre Dame, Ohio State, Colorado, and Oregon, Ole Miss and Alabama, Auburn and Texas A&M, Penn State and Iowa. I think it's safe to say we've hit the meat of the season. We'll talk to you tomorrow.